You give Teller from Jerusalem 20 minutes, and he'll give you the education of a lifetime. King of the storytellers and the Shakespeare of the Torah world, here is Rabbi Hanok Teller. Hello out there in podcast land. Welcome to Teller from Jerusalem. I'm your host, Hanok Teller. Today it is our great privilege and honor to welcome to the show Charlie Harari, the classic who needs no introduction, motivational speaker, author of this fantab new book, Unlocking Greatness. That's a message he's been broadcasting for the longest time. He is constantly, dynamically, perpetually inspiring people with his motivation, with his dynamism, and he's a close friend. I'm so happy to have him on the show. Uh, we didn't even discuss what we we're going to discuss, but I'll tell you, I, uh, and I have a weakness here because many of the things which I've learned from you, I've already spoken about. So... I don't, want you. You. <laughs> I don't want you. I don't want to. I don't want to have the master outdo me on my own show. So, but I was attracted to chapter six, if that means anything to you, and unlocking greatness. The idea of when you're selfish, you're not serving yourself. Mm-hmm. You're, you're serving everyone but yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, the idea of um, of um, we are all connected, but there's something blocking. We have to free that block, mm-hmm. enable to us. If you can expand on this, I've said gibberish. Sure. I mean, this is based on. You know, everything obviously comes from Hashem, and, and a lot of what we wrote here in the book, even though the book is a, is a secular book published by a secular uh, publisher, it's based on on spiritual Torah principles. Um, and one of the, I guess, most fundamental principle is that we are not, and we have this in the book actually, is that we are not, um, we are not, we're not bodies, we're souls. Now we are a soul having a, with with sort of a physical cover, not a body with a spiritual interior, if you will. So the the core, the 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 essential aspect of who we are really is our spirituality. Now that's an important distinction in life, because if you understand who you really are, you'll know what you need to do to serve that part of you, so that you get the full level of satisfaction in life. So if we were bodies that walked around with a little bit of a, a spiritual touch, really the goal of life would be accumulation of things and satisfaction and comforts. And a lot of people live this way. But if we really are souls that happen to be in a covering called a body, we need to find different things to satisfy us. But also that means that a lot of things that the physical world offers us is counterintuitive to our level of satisfaction when we engage in it. So the physical world may sell us something that we assume will give us pleasure, but that never actually does. For example? Enormous amounts of food, comfort, and money. If you look at people that have mastered those three things, they are not any more satisfied than those that have, had, that have measures of less. We, we live in a world where the messages that keep, keep on hitting us are very physical, material messages, mostly because you can sell materialism. You can package and produce materialism. And so the more you believe that you need it for self-satisfaction, the more you're going to go out and spend your money on it, the more someone else will be able to make a living off it. Just fine. I'm not, I'm not knocking society. I'm just stating what a consumer-based society is like to a human being. You don't find people at the top of materialism a magnitude happier, but like life-satisfied, deep-satisfied happier than those that are lower than them. In communist Russia, people were basically deprived of everything. I don't think they were happy. I think they were always gloomy, but it wasn't because they had too much. Yeah, 
so the science shows that once you have basic necessities, once you get to the level of you can function normally and you don't have to turn your attention to living, to security, to safety, once you're freed of these things, there's enough food in your cabinet, you can get to work safely, your family can live in a normal, healthy way, from that point to levels of very high wealth, there's very little tick up in terms of the same level of happiness. Your happiness does goes up the more you can get, but not at the same order as it should. And at some point, it drops off because now the overaccumulation of things start to have negative impact on you. So to get that extra uh, dollar or vacation, you sacrificed relationship time, you sacrificed depth, you sacrificed meaning. And so when you're planning a life, you have to always be in balance to figure out, I have to make sure I maintain the material needs that I have, but what is going to give me the greatest life that I want? And that's the question of where do I allocate most of my time? Because I have to make sure that my basic necessities are met, but if I'm looking for the greatest possible life, I'm looking to unlock greatness now. I'm looking to go beyond survival. I'm looking to become great. Greatness is really based on the allocation of time and investment into the things that will lead you to greatness. So let me give a, a physical example. If I'm running a portfolio and I'm an investor, right? I, what I should be doing is figuring out, okay, how do I make the base amount of money? Like, how do I get a, enough money into the, into the system? But at the end of the day, where are my investments that are going to maximize my return? That's the greatness of a really good portfolio manager. He doesn't just put money in everything. He's constantly or she's constantly thinking about which investments maximize the return. So that's the question we have to ask in life. Which You never time, want to be coasting. You, you, you want to be great. We're, we're born to be great. You have to unlock it. It's in us. So we have to always be asking ourselves, okay, I have time. It's, 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 an, it's just like I have, if someone has money that they have to invest. Well, guess what? Time is a resource that someone gave us. God handed us time and said, here you go. You have X amount of time to use it. Like, good luck. It's an investment <laughs> capital. We have to wake up in the morning and just be like, okay, where do I put it? We don't just wake up in the morning and like, all right, I hope the day goes well. And like, you know, year, you know, day to week to month, time flies by. What does that mean time flies by? Does money fly by? You go look at your bank account and go, oh, wow, I had, a, you know, $1,000 yesterday. Like, oh, look at this. It's 900 That's cool. <laughs> what is that? What, people do that with time? Oh, wow, I can't believe it's spring. What do you mean you can't believe it's spring? Where did winter go? I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? Someone <laughs> knocks out your bank account. You're like, that's cool. It's an investment of time. Hashem gave us, God gave us time. We have to figure out where to allocate that time. Where you allocate your time is where your greatness is going to come or not going to come. So here's the secret. All that you want in life, you already have. It just isn't manifest in the way that you think. Because all that you really want in life is a, an aspect, a relationship with, with things that are deeper than this world. We're built at a, we have substance that's deeper than the physical world. It's called the spiritual world. The divine God in here, we speak about it, um, unified energy. God sometimes is a term that people uh, have all their preconceived notions to. So let's just, let's talk about it as a, as an energy source, unified, intelligent energy. It's in everything. It's everywhere. And it's in us. It is. It's a part of us. Our ability to connect to that is what gives us life satisfaction in a way that nothing physical can compare to. So if you can connect and you can manifest and you can express the divine energy that you have, if you can tap into that energy, the feeling you get from tapping into that energy feels greater than anything the material can do because that's closer to who you are.
You have a body. You are a soul. If you, you t the closer you get to who you are, the greater it feels. Now, things that are self-focused usually are serving the body. Things that are selfless usually are serving the soul. When we put on the glasses of I need to satisfy the soul that I have, the, the spiritual aspects of me, usually the activities are different than when we need to satisfy the physical aspects of me. And it's counterintuitive. And so when I give you... Counterintuitive you mean as far as I think as long as I'm serving myself, it'll make me happier. Yeah, because we were grown, we were, we were created that. We, 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 are, we were, were conditioned that way by society. Again, I'm not knocking. We just—that's what a Western consumer society is, is, is doing. They're—they're they're trying to get us to go out and do things for ourselves, buy things, and as we are focused in on what I can accumulate, what I can get, um, it's a very self-focused way of looking at this world. So, for example, try this out. This is a good. I have this in the book. This is an easy exercise for everybody. Okay, the next time you walk into a building or anywhere in life. I want you to hold the door for the person behind you, even if it's three minutes. Don't not three minutes, even if it's less than a minute. Okay, see somebody in the back of your, your head coming into any building you're ever walking into, and you hold the door. And when the person walks in, you smile. That's it. Don't even say anything. Hold and smile. Okay. Stop and measure how you feel. Next, the next time you're walking anywhere, and anyone holds the door for you, stop and measure how you feel. It's a simple little example. See what feels different. And what feels, I would say, even categorically better. It's always going to be the door opener. Why? You lost time. You don't even know the person. You get, you're going to get nothing for it. You're not going to get an award or a plaque. Nothing. It's because you've expressed the ability to be a giver. And giver taps into the concept of spirituality. And at that moment, you're connecting to a deeper source. So even though you lost physically, you gained spiritually. You know, interesting, yesterday I filled up gas uh, somewhere in New Jersey, and I had a lot of singles on me, and I'm going back to Israel, so I wanted to empty out my money and didn't use a credit card. And the fellow, I suspect, was not a rocket scientist, and I gave him many singles. He counted it a few times, and he handed me back a dollar. And the smile on his face, I made his day by him being doing this act of integrity. Yeah, yeah, it's a tremendous, the idea of, and, and this concept, and, and, the, and in the book we speak about it on, on, on multiple levels, but... This is really one of the great mistakes that we make. I'm reading this great new book. In Hebrew, it's called Biyam Darkecha. In English, it's, uh, I guess, The Pathway in the Water. It's written by a great rabbi in Israel named Rabbi Morgenstern. And he speaks about this idea that we are so lost in trying to be important. We are so lost in trying to become significant. When in life, really, you know, God doesn't ask that of us. He asks us to be connected. The greatest significance you can have in life really is to connect to the divine. Significance when you're younger is in doing things and is accomplishing things. The book we speak about trophies. Every society has trophies. In some societies, trophies are sports related. and some societies, trophies are academic related. and some societies, trophies are wealth related. Wherever you grow up, you're usually in some micro society that has determined its trophy. And we're put into environments because of just reality that is usually comparative. So unless you are blessed with a personal tutor your whole life, you're probably in some school for the beginning of your life in which you're being compared. Whether the teacher is the greatest teacher in the world, there's going to be someone along the way that says, okay, kids, you did well and you didn't. You make the team, you don't. You get picked, you don't. 
and even if it's not school, friends. I'm picking you. I like you. When you combine micro trophies, micro societal trophies with comparisons, it leads to a world where your brain, based on neuroplasticity, which we speak about the book, starts to connect significance as goals of life. I want to be significant. I want to make it. And I'm, I'm the same way like everybody else is. I'm not like above this. I'm not some evolved human being. I'm a regular dude. I'm also dying to be significant in life. And I also think that significance is going to be based on whatever trophy my society says so. And in some societies, it's even religious. And we, we drive towards significance, but significance can really be a very selfish act. It could not be, but it could be. But the truest significance doesn't come when I win. The truest significance comes when I give. That's real significance, when I connect, when I relate, when I become in some ways less to connect to somebody else to be more. And these are the messages that people end up learning later on in their lives. That you, you sit with people in a, as they get, if you will, to the later years, and they all get this, whether they can articulate. And you sit with people in their younger years and they think you're insane. And if there's a way for the younger years to learn what the older years knows, even though that's very hard, which is what really information is supposed to be doing, it's supposed to bridge the gap of experience, we end up creating much deeper, richer lives. And you, even when you get whatever you're supposed to get physically, it comes in a different way. It comes in a much more enjoyable way in, in a spiritual sense. So, Okay, you... It's not going to be, I think, too hard for you to weave this in, but I was so enthralled in the book where you have the story of the uh, hockey team where the United States had the upset yeah. victory. Oh, yeah. I have that in my movie, Do You Believe in Miracles? Yeah. But uh, could you relate to that and connect it for us? Yeah, for sure. That, that to me, was one of the most important sports moments. So basically, in 1980, the United States sent a bunch of college kids um, to play the greatest team in maybe on Earth. On Earth and maybe even in Olympic history, the Russian hockey team. Now, just to give you a sense, the Russians had come in earlier than, the, than this the Olympics and played, I believe, NHL All-Stars or one of the top NHL teams. So for those who are following NHL as a professional, the, the professional hockey league, so just to give you a context, the Russians have a team they send to America, they play the NHL Stars and crush them. Crush them. Uh -huh. Then they go out and play... They're college kids. In 1980, you weren't allowed to send professionals to the Olympics. Everything's amateur. Amateur. And even that they weren't the same college. So we're talking about kids that are teenagers or, you know, young 20s that didn't even play together, right? So it's, an, it's basically a, a task. A motley. It's a, it's, a, it's a task in total futility. It's an impossible. And Herb Brooks was the coach. And he was struggling because these kids all had their own little college rivalries, right? They were college kids. What do you mean? They're, you know, like, there are people in their 50s that still have college rivalries. Can you imagine being <laughs> the player in the team? And hockey isn't exactly, you know, a sport that is known for its, you know, you know collegiality. You know what I'm saying? Like, hockey's a rough and tumble sport. So if the guy you played against in hockey punched you in the face two months ago, guess what? You see him. I don't care if he's on your team. You still, you know, he's, you, you still have Accidentally that. on purpose trip him. Exactly. So he... Herb Brooks was struggling to get this team to ever be, you know, one. And now, now what's interesting about it, and if you saw this, there was a movie that was about it, there were books about it. There's a lot, you know, I happen to be a big sports fan, and as I got older, uh, I stopped watching the ball, I started watching the coach. That, that was my evolution of sports. Like, to me, the, the strategy is much more enjoyable than the actual movement of the ball. So, to me, this is a very enjoyable exercise, because Herb Brooks, basically, his thesis, his theory was there's no way that we're going to beat the Russians. It's impossible. The only chance we have is if we, the team, emerges from a collection of people and literally becomes one breathing entity. So 
the, the, the people on the ice, the only way we can beat the people on the ice across from us is if they're not playing against us. They're playing against a new entity called the team. That means that each person has to nullify self, if you will, to becoming part of a greater whole, right? We're just two arms now. We're not two separate entities that are even passing to each other. We have to be one entity. And when you have one entity, the dynamic of that entity and how it operates can overwhelm even the greatest. That was his theory. The problem is that you have to, these aren't robots. These are human <laughs> beings and they're college kids with rivalries. So there's the, one of the most famous moments that was highlighted in this movie was they, they're, it's just not working. So at the end of one of the games, he has them skate drills where they're basically skating, you know, to the third of the ice, to the halfway, to the next third and the, the full ice. And they're just skating back and forth doing these drills. And usually you do five or six or seven. When I was a kid growing up. I played varsity basketball. We did this in the basketball court. The coach maybe had us do 10. You, you never heard of anyone doing more than 15, 20. It's like literally just, it's, it's impossible. It's incredibly exhausting to stop the starts. And he has them doing dozens and dozens and dozens, and they're collapsing. And you know, as the, the movie goes, the the, the the lights shut off, and the, and they're they're throwing. It's horrible. And and what he did originally was he had them to get them to at least be connected. He had them say their name and their their, their where they where they're from and what college they went to, just to get to know each other. And it just wasn't working. And then finally, as, as dramatically how it ends is that um, one of the one of the guys, I guess the captain, his name was Michael Ruzioni. He screams out in the middle of this drill. He screams out his name, you know, basically alluding to the exercise they did and where he's from, from Massachusetts. And the coach in the, picks up on what he's doing and says, well, who do you play for? Now, until now, they all had said, you, you know, their colleges, Chicago. He says, I play for the United States of America. And at that point, the coach said, OK, that'll be all. And the message that he kept on saying to them is, you know, when you put on the jersey, the name on the front is more important than the name on the back. What he was driving towards is, when you play for yourself, we're never going to win. If your name on the back is important to you, your stats, your abilities, there's no chance. When you nullify yourself to a greater cause, which is you playing what means to represent the United States of America. When all of you see yourselves as just players for this one cause, you will nullify your own background, your past, even your abilities, and you'll become one unit. And, and you yourself will have more strength. Exactly. You probably know the story. The uh, story goes that there was a professor teaching university, and he came to the final exam. He didn't personally administer it, but there was a proctor. And the proctor said to the students, it's a large college auditorium, we're talking about over 100 students. Students, you have one hour and 15 minutes for this exam, and not one second longer. You go one minute over one hour and 15 minutes, and you have failed. One hour and 15 minutes later is a neat tall pile of exams on the teacher's desk. One student still copiously filling out his exam. He's about to hand it in, and the proctor says, you have flunked. He said, do you know who I am? He said, I don't know, and I don't care. He said, do you know my name? I don't know and I don't care. He took off his eyeglasses and said, you don't know who I am? He said, I don't know and I don't care. Student said, great. Took the test, shoved in the middle of the pile, and took off. <laughs> That's <laughs> the power good. of unity. Yeah. That's why we try and pray with a group together because yeah. when you're yeah. by yourself, you're all yeah. exposed and yeah. naked. But when the power of a group exactly. is so much stronger. And, That's what, and what you said a minute ago really is, is the point, which is, and this is a hard thing for us to get. I don't fully get it. 
and it's very hard. And, and if you meet someone that fully gets this, you know, um, if you meet someone that fully gets this, uh, you know, that's the people that you have to spend time around. Like you said, once you're willing to nullify yourself for something greater than yourself, you find a piece of yourself that never you never were tapping into that's greater than you had before. That's counterintuitive. That's a counterintuitive principle. That when I nullify myself to the marriage, when I nullify myself to my family, when I nullify myself to my community, when I nullify myself to causes greater than me, and I'm allowing myself to nullify that which I want for that which is greater for the, the, the group, it's counterintuitive to think that I'm going to find a piece of myself. Now, when you understand that you're a soul and you're connected to the divine energy and the divine energy can flow more into you, if you will, when you're not blocking it with selfish ideas and thoughts, it makes sense. At least it starts to make sense. But when you pray... And we see this. We, and for yeah. those who do it, those people that we yeah. admire. You see it. You, and, and you look at them. and you, Yeah, absolutely. You see it. And we have to all... And that's what I mean by unlocking greatness. And I, I fought. It's interesting, and I'll end with this. I actually, I don't say fought, but we argued over the over the over the title here, with the publisher because they wanted something else. And I was very careful with this title. And they asked me why I wanted so badly. I said because I don't want anyone to think that greatness is outside them. You never have to become great. You are great. You have to unlock it. It's already the the resources inside you. The well is there. You don't have to worry about having enough water. You have plenty of water. You have a source. You have you have the divine inside you. You just gotta learn how to unlock it. And a lot of the way you unlock it is by questioning some of the more physical, material ways in which we see the world and becoming more spiritual beings. Wonderful. Okay, I cannot thank you enough. I want to. I neglected to mention Charlie's Fantab uh, podcast where you'll find all of this. It's just one dose after another of unlocking greatness. I learned a lot from this. I got me, you got me to write a book. Oh. It was your inspiration, <laughs> and uh, I'm so grateful. So thank you very much, everybody, and we look forward to the next episode. Thanks for listening to Teller from Jerusalem, where this series takes an intelligent and thought-provoking look at the past in order to acquire a perspective on the present. Spread knowledge by giving us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. Join us next time for a brand new episode and be sure to visit tellerfromjerusalem.com where you can find more details about the show and other useful information. Check out the site store and just by inserting the TFJ code, you'll receive an additional 10% discount off the already very reduced prices of all Hanoch Teller products, books, lectures, and documentaries. And remember, don't forget, you can get Teller from Jerusalem on any podcast platform or go to tellerfromjerusalem.com.